Blog Talk Radio.
my coffee cup I said, thank you, thank you What if I looked at the day and the hours ahead And before I moved forward I bowed my head and said, thank you Oh, I said, thank you What if I looked at my life in a different way Took a little more time to stop and pray tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. We have a big question for you today, listeners. Do you believe God is real? It's a simple question, but it is a question that science and spirituality have been at odds about for years. Here's a spoiler alert. God is real. It's true. Not only does God exist, but science gives us tools to know this. So stay tuned to learn more. This is your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, 
certified vibrational sound therapist and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice, located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audio books and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer, free of charge, and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest, Tolome Tompkins, is a former editor at Guidepost Magazine and the author of seven books. His writing has been featured in BeliefNet, Harper's, The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, The Best Spiritual Writing, and The Best American Spiritual Writing. He is a co-author of Proof of God, The Shocking True Answer to the World's Most Important Question. So welcome to the show, Ptolemy. I, I am so grateful that you are taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. Thank you so very much. How are you being? I'm being pretty good, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow, and you picked up on it. Most people say, I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, I got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yes, you did. The way, the way to I do is like to, to be, like to that's right, because we're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> so I would like to start, if we could, with you telling us a bit about you, your background, and how you as a writer and Bernie Hayes as a, a very serious scientist came to yes. collaborate on this book because it seems a little unlikely, you know, an unlikely pairing. It is. But it's it totally weird. worked out well for both of you. It is. Go ahead. Great. So I want to... I just want to get the listeners up to speed as to what that all is about. So if you could take it away. <laughs> well, Bernie is a rock-hard scientist. He's, uh, you know, he's worked all over the place, you know, the Center for Astrophysics and um, uh, University of California at Berkeley, um, NASA, you know, the whole nine yards. And uh, like most writers, I'm just sort of a flaky fellow rambling along looking for my next project to work on. And um, we ran into each other because um, uh, Bernie had uh, heard that I had a hand in writing Eben Alexander's Proof of Heaven, um, which I did. And he'd written a couple of books. He wrote uh, The God Theory and the Purpose Guided Universe, which are very good books. But they're, um, because he's a scientist, they're just a little bit wonky. And he wanted me to take those two books and transform them into popular books. And as it happened, um, I'd read one of the books and enjoyed it. But I said, Bernie, these are, you know, these are slightly wonky books. I can't de-wonk them. I can't make them popular books. But I can try to write a popular book of my own that takes your ideas and makes them somewhat understandable. I mean, I can write a book that I can understand, which means that maybe some other people can understand it, and that's how we got together. And, of course, Proof of God was the obvious title because I worked on Proof of Heaven, and I, then, I, then I wrote Proof of Angels. So, you know, that's the way publishing works. Of course, we have to call it Proof of God. And I said to Bernie, I have bad news. I think we're going to have to call it Proof of God. What do you think of that? And he said, I thought he'd totally, being a scientist, and scientists don't like to talk mush, so I thought he'd uh, put the kibosh on that. But he said, that's fine. 
And I said, um, really? Well, um, how sure are you that God exists? And he said, um, 90, 99%. He said, the scientists aren't 100% on anything, so 99. And I said, well, that sounds like a pretty good number to me. So we got to work on it. Which is really and cool because proof holds so much weight with scientists, as you said. I mean, they've got to make sure that they've exhausted every possibility and dotted every I and crossed every T before they can, well, you know, say well, something I'll tell you, proof. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, with Proof of Heaven, um, the book was about to uh, go to press, and nobody had a title for it. There was like maybe, oh, into the, into the afterlife, a neurosurgeon explores the afterlife, stuff like that. And the, uh, the ad department said, we need something with heaven in it. And um, I like coming up with titles. So I said to the editor, give me a minute, I'll come up with something. So I thought, and I thought, <laughs> and I said, um, how about Proof of Heaven? And that's how that word got, you know, sort of exploded into the world, and that's why all those scientists all over the place got furious at Evan Alexander, because you can't prove heaven. It's, it, the proof just drives – you, you use proof – sorry, there's a thunderstorm going on here. I use the, the word proof, mm. and that's what happens, you see. Um, you know, you use proof and heaven in the same <laughs> sentence, and it drives scientists bonkers, because it's, it, it's, it's – you know, proof is a sacrosanct word. And um, obviously you can't prove heaven. You can't prove things. You can't prove airy-fairy, things like that. So um, I got a great kick out of that. I thought it was terrific, and I've enjoyed using the word ever since. A friend of mine asked me whether I was going to be working on proof of the Easter Bunny next, but anyhow. (laughs) Well, let me tell you. There is a Santa Claus, and there is proof of that, so nobody can dissuade me. <laughs> wow, that's so obvious. That's not even worth writing a book on, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that part of the book, though, when you were talking about proof, because I thought, oh, proof is so absolute to scientists. It was fascinating to me that he just went along with it. I didn't expect it either. <laughs> I thought, he's not going to go along with it. Anyway. No, it was a so shock. Was kind of, yeah. yeah, and well, it makes Bernie very human and it makes him like you wanted to like him at that point you know i was like oh i really like this guy i mean i liked him before but i was like i really like the fact that he went along with this this is really cool you know so he's he seems to be uh seems to have been buying into the whole thing which is great and i have to say um when talking about buying into things there's a lot to do with organized religion around obviously god and heaven and everything i was brought up catholic but i don't buy into it lock stock and barrel you know there are just for me too many rules and then they're changed, and I never understood how one pope could make St. Christopher a saint, and another pope can say, well, he's not a saint, and all of a sudden, you know. I'm like, okay, if you're supposed to be infallible, how can you both be infallible if you're doing opposites? So I, I, just, I just don't get the whole, you know, um, religion one way is the only way for each religion. So... I feel whoever the God is of a person's understanding is the same God as the God of my understanding. We just call it by a different name. So how do you perceive God? Well, the way I perceive God is I can't perceive God because if I were to perceive God, I would have to have a way of turning myself inside out because I see myself as um, a being generated by God, and because I am so completely a creature generated by a being infinitely greater than I am, the idea that I could um, have some knowledge of the being that created me is 
preposterous in its um, arrogance. I mean, I barely know myself, even in the most superficial ways. Um, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out, you know, why I made this decision, why I made that decision. You know, once I get myself figured out, I could maybe start to figure out um, what God is about. I mean, I think that um, the um, – I mean, that's the thing. What we, what we forget about all the time, I think, is the concept of enormity. Um, it's like if you work in a city for a while and you haven't been in the country, you forget what the country is like. You forget what it feels like. And you take the train or you drive out to the country and you inevitably go, wow, the country. Um, you, can't, you can't keep what the country feels like in your mind. We can't, we can't keep the feel of, of what the ocean feels like in our mind. We have that mental picture, but it's always, it's always so weak and so pathetic compared to the reality. And it's important to keep that in mind when fooling around with abstractions like God because God is something – and I'm talking, it sounds like I'm talking like somebody who really knows, and I'm not, I'm just sort of, you know, talking here. I, I'm not, I don't want to mm -hmm. sound like I know what I'm talking about. You know, I don't, but I'm doing my best. Um, but, um, you know, there's, actually there's a, a metaphor that I came up with for proof of heaven about, you know, when you sit in a movie theater for a long time and then you come out in, into the light of the day, and it's like, kaboom, you're sort of reminded of like the, the outside. You've been, you've been sort of you know, sucked up into the world of the movie, and then bam, you sort of walk, like if you, walk, if you watch a matinee, and then you walk out and, into, and you see the sun and everything like that. And, and we, we tend to talk about God and argue about God in, the, in these small, abstract ways, like if you have a family dinner and you've got one relative who's a, who's a staunch Catholic, and you've got another relative who's a staunch materialist, and they get into this argument. And the argument is inevitably dealing in these small ideas, and, and God is so much, you know, it, it, God's the biggest thing there is. I mean, he, it, God is bigger than the adjective big. And so I think the first thing that has, that has to come into our mind when we're discussing God is that the vastness of the subject matter is, is such that our language falls to bits completely and, and, and instantly. So it's completely beyond anything, you know, in, in our most intense moments um, in our lives, we, we come within – you know, we we only come miles within um, what what God might be. So to start batting ping pong balls, sort of arguments back and forth, it just it always reduces. It always reduces reduces, and that's why I don't really like to get into um, arguments. Like when I do radio shows, I always dread it if it's um, call-ins and the caller wants to have um, an argument with me because I just I, um, I, I absolutely, you know, support the right of people to have different views, but I hate getting into small arguments because these subjects are so large that it takes all my energy just to follow a thought along without arguing anybody. Without arguing with anybody, it's like a mountain so large. It's like you're It's like people climbing a mountain and they start wrestling with each other. 
Um, mm-hmm. The bigness of the subject matter is such that, that um, you don't get anywhere. And I, I think that's what happens a lot of times with um, the arguments between the, believe, you know, the believers in quote-unquote science and quote-unquote religion. And um, people have this idea generally that, you know, three or 400 years ago, science came, you know, um, you know, up until 400 years ago, people were superstitious and religious, and then science suddenly came along and there was a split. And then so suddenly there's science over on one side and there's religion over on the other. And religion talks about God and science talks, science talks about rock hard realities. And people who want to have sort of nice, happy thoughts grasp hold of religion and, you know, brave, you know, um, you know, um, solid realist types, you know, hold on to science. And the thing is, none of that is true. And it just debilitates us. And the message that Bernie has, which I found so great, is that if you really listen to a scientist who, well, if you listen to a scientist like Bernie, what you get is a message that allows you to start to open yourself to a universe where God exists. And God is, you know, listen to how many times I've used the word God. It's so overused. <laughs> I've already used it like 600 times. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's like one of those words like love. It's just been like trampled into the ground. You know, we, 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 we should come up with a new word for, for God because it's just been done to death. But anyhow, um, the fact is... Um, Science, if you listen to a scientist like Bernie, and Bernie is a scientist worth listening to, um, if you listen to a scientist like Bernie, science does not prevent our believing in God or our um, um, being open to the idea that our universe was created with purpose, and mean and and the idea that our that our universe is full of meaning and that our universe is going somewhere science doesn't get in the way of that at all in fact science says yes that's true science um um you know adds electricity to that idea and and, and makes us um more excited about those ideas and and we start to think wow i was kind of hoping or wishing that was true but now i really know it's true and and too few people know that it's kind of like the scene in 2001 where you have those uh, monkey men sort of standing around and they're just you know there's that bone sitting there and nobody's picking it up um you know pro-god science is like that it's just sitting there and uh, not enough people People don't know it's there, this, you know, positive pro-God science. And if you pick it up, the great thing about it is it's not only fascinating, but it, it's, it's something much more useful than that. It does something much more useful than that, although fascinating things are great. The, more, the, the better thing about it or, or the, the more intriguing thing, thing about it is that it cheers you up. It allows you to get up and wake up in a universe that you don't have to struggle to believe has meaning. You can just know that it has meaning. You don't have to struggle to have faith. You can find evidence for it everywhere, which I think is what your, um, is what, at least it, it, it's, it's what 
my heart tells me all the time, and I think it's what many people's heart tells them. And and science and science doesn't say no, 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 don't you know that's not true. It says, yep, you're right. You believe that for a reason. And yet, I I was under the impression that most scientists reject the idea of God. They do. They do. But they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Says somebody who has absolutely no right to say that, but that's the great thing about being a writer. You can say, you know, write and say whatever you want. But um, and we all have I our own beliefs it. too. What's that? We all have our own beliefs. I mean, God is typically religious or faith-based, and just is. Nobody, you know, there's really no proof required when you're a religious person because you're taught to believe what we're told. So just believe, have faith, which is so not science-based, you know. And yeah, we believe that. Well, we come what, to believe that. Um, but the thing is, um, with Bernie, I, I, I sort of I, I stuck to basics, and um, I was talking about those 2001 uh, Monkey Men a minute ago, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking about them standing about among those rocks. And um, let's let's pick up one of those rocks for a minute because. Um, a lot of my, a lot of uh, Bernie's in my book has to do with um, objects and uh, solidity and stuff like that. And the thing yep. is, um, um, we live in a, and we live, and I think um, I think no scientist would uh, contest this. Um, we live in a we live in a universe in which there are no rocks. If you take a rock um, as something um, as, as something solid, as something um, substantial there are no rocks just as there are no paper paper cups there are no books uh there are no mouse traps and there are no cars uh there's nothing solid in our universe whatsoever and mm-hmm. that's something that science tells us straight out and mm-hmm. we if we know it we forget it all the time because it's easy to forget it because you know, I can pick up a rock and whack myself on the head with it, and it hurts. So it seems <laughs> like the universe has actual rocks in it, but it doesn't. The universe has nothing but swirling masses of energy. There is um, absolutely no solid matter in the universe whatsoever. Uh, there's energy, and energy is made of, if you listen to Bernie, energy is made of, fill in the blank, what do you think energy is made of? Well, you know what it's made of. What's energy made of? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's, a clumsy, it, it's a crude way of talking, but what's energy made of? Yeah, E equals MC squared. There you go. Uh, it's made of consciousness. Yep. You know, we live in, oh, and there's a great, I went to, I went to the trouble of dog-earing this quote because it's so great and it's just a little too long for me to remember. This is um, from um, Arthur Eddington, who was the greatest astrophysicist of the first part of the 20th century. And uh, he wrote, It is difficult for the matter-of-fact physicist to accept the view that the substratum of everything is of mental character. But no one can deny that mind is the first and most direct thing in our experience, and all else is is remote inference. That's a little wonky, but um, James Jeans, <laughs> the other the other great astrophysicist of the first half of the 20th century, said um, the universe uh, be, 
begins to look less like a great machine and more like a great thought. And when he said that, he wasn't speaking metaphorically. Um, the universe is, in fact, according to those scientists, a great thought. The world is, the world is made of thought. And, mm-hmm. you know, that sort, of, that sort of sounds like an airy-fairy Shakespeare quote. But, in fact, it's science. But we – and here again, we, um, that takes me back to, um, um, to, to, to what I was saying earlier about um, why we should be so careful when we get into Thanksgiving arguments about you know, science versus religion. We have to remember that because we are creatures – who live in this universe and that this, who, have, who have come into being in this universe, our tools for living in this universe are calibrated and geared to the material world. So we see what we, we see and hear and feel and take in um, a very, very, very limited amount of what is around us. We're very, very limited beings in terms of the, the sort of, of what we take in on a regular day. Um, mm-hmm. We miss pra- practically everything, and that goes from that, that 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 applies to the outside world that we move through. We miss practically all of it, and it also goes for our inner world. Um, um, what's going on in our minds? We're we're pretty much blind to that too. We're, we're pretty much in – we're a boat in the fog in, in both cases. So we need to be extremely humble when we're talking about anything, anything just two feet beyond the bow of our boat because we really can't see what's going on either within us or – Forget the universe around us. Forget Alpha Centauri. Forget you know galaxies beyond galaxies. Just you know, twenty feet in front of us, we don't know. We we don't experience the reality of what the solid world really is. We don't experience the reality of of what our eyes are doing in terms of processing the light that's that's coming in, of what our brains are doing with that light of how much information our brains are choosing to make conscious of how much information our brains are choosing to throw out. Like every second, our brain takes in a huge amount of information, and most of it is just thrown out. And, and um, even like, for instance, you wake up and let's see, are you married? Personal question, sorry. I am. That's okay, I am. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, all right. One shouldn't ask things like that, but okay. So you wake no, up and you right. see your husband. Okay. So you wake up and you see your husband. When you look at your husband, um, you are it, – it seems to you like you're taking him in all afresh and seeing an absolutely brand-new version of your husband, but you aren't. You're taking in – some new visual information, like if his hair is mussed up or if he's you know, wearing a purple hat or something, that's new and you're going to register that. But a lot of the information you're using is information that your memory has stored and it's just supplying to your brain. A lot of the stuff that's coming in is not being, is not being used. A lot of what you're seeing is just uh, memory-generated stuff. So our brains... Mm-hmm work to create the, work, the reality that we have in ways that 
you know, we're not conscious of um, at all. So again, it just goes back to that that idea of of remembering to have tremendous humility about our understanding of universe out there and ourselves within. Okay, I'm going to beat this subject into the ground, so I'll shut up. You're going to ask me something new. I, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, that was very interesting. I, I thought, and I thought it was leading well into how we can connect to consciousness. I mean, a lot of people are trying to be more aware, more present, live in the present moment, and just be more mindful of things going around them. However, I find that that's difficult for people with everything that's going Way on difficult. and all they're taking in. Yeah. You know, um, when yeah, you say yeah, you're not aware of what's going on. Terribly difficult. Yeah, what's going on in the world around them, they're not aware of. But more importantly, they're not aware of what's going on within them. And I think that's why I'm seeing an increase in yoga classes, in meditation classes. I think people are sure. trying to connect somehow. And they're trying to reach that level of consciousness, that awareness, which can also be, you know, a prayer, if you want to get back to that, you know, prayer is, or sure. gardening. There are so many things that are meditative and, and consciousness raising. And I think that's what's yep. important for people, or I'm seeing that now more so than I have seen in, let's say, the past 10 years. Yoga classes have certainly increased, and that's a start to it. And then they get into the meditation. And I don't know, I think that has something to do with it. They want a connection with a greater power, something that's greater than themselves. And I guess we use the word God for that when it could be universe spirit you know source whatever you want to refer to it as i i see that well again that's that right. again it's that you know the the word god is i mean i mean i like the word god but i mean i i, I think that it um it's just it's 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 what happens with important words they just get they get used so much and i guess there's nothing to be done about it it's it's the same actually with consciousness i mean my gosh when I again to go back to Eben, I can't help it. When uh, we were doing, uh, when we were putting proof of heaven to get proof of heaven together, I said, Eben, if you use the word consciousness one more time, <laughs> I am never going to speak to you again, um, because <laughs> consciousness is um, consciousness is you know probably the most interesting thing there is. We don't know what it is. We kind of know what it is to experience it because it is it really defines the totality of our experience. But um, and you know, and we meditate and we try to you know deepen our consciousness, et cetera, and so forth. But um, it's it's a word that you know, again, we, we bounce it around like a ping pong ball and, and it gets overused and, and the, um, the real mystery and the shock value of what consciousness is gets lost to us. Again, it's like going from the city into the country. I mean, it would be, um, it would be great if we could, um, um, if, if there were some way for us to be taught I mean, we're conscious all, I mean, you know, uh, Indian mystics and uh, Christian mystics and uh, Eastern and Western mystics tell us we're conscious all the time, but it would be great if we could somehow be unconscious for a second and then brought into consciousness so that we could experience really just how fantastically miraculous consciousness is. But we're always conscious, so we're so bloody used to it that we can't really understand 
just what a miracle it is. I mean, it's the central miracle, but um, we're, um, you know, we're immersed in it. So it's, it's, it's very hard. I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard for me right now sitting talking to you on the phone about how incredible it is to, um, to get a concrete um, sensation of that miraculousness. You know, we take it for granted, but it's yeah. nothing to take for granted. Yeah, and that's what happens with everything that you take for granted. The the aura of everything, it goes yeah. away. The, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, and you're right. It is the miracle of it because sometimes when I'm doing a presentation, I will, I will start by saying, who here has experienced a miracle? And you'll get one or two people to raise their hands, and I'll say, what's your miracle? And they'll tell me, and I'll say, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good miracle. And then the next person, I'll say, nobody else experienced a miracle? And they'll say, no. And I'll say, wow, I think everybody in the room did. You were all born. That's a miracle. You're here. You're breathing, yeah. you know, into life. That's yeah. a miracle. That's the first miracle right there. And then from there, every day is a bloody miracle. And I, sometimes I think it's just, it's, and this is just me. I mean, I certainly don't know. But for me, being conscious is really living from your heart. And I look at it like there's, and I know you said we overuse the word love, and we do. And maybe I overuse it a lot because it's my last name. <laughs> But for me, that, you know, again, again, I'm going to do an inappropriate thing and ask the interviewer a question. Is that really your last name? <laughs> it really is. I married it. Yeah, I married it. I married wow, it. I got the great. last name when I got well, married. Yeah. yeah, you're not yeah. you're not supposed well, yeah. to ask the interviewer questions, but that's well, that's great. Wow. Uh, I don't care if I don't want to answer a question. I'll say no. We're not talking about me right now. <laughs> People yeah, don't like excuse that. Excuse <laughs> me. That's very rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, we're all here to learn. So. It's kind of I look at I look at life like there's two roads you can travel down the road of love or the road of fear and the road of fear is everything that's negative and and not good and the road of love is everything that's positive so fear is resentment and anger and all that not so great stuff and love is everything else and if you when you realize that you're coming from any looking at any situation from fear regardless of what the fear represents itself as if you can Take yourself out of that for a moment and say, how would it be if I looked at it from the point of love and go with it from that? To me, that's being conscious of your surroundings, the greater good, and your own self, your own right. heart. And that plugs into um, that teaching, which is getting more and more widespread these days. Um, Eckhart Tolle does it. Uh, I think you find it in The Course of Miracles. Um, you find it more and more these days, the basic teaching that um, – um, that there's a larger self and there's the ego and most of what we do right. during the day is the ego and the ego is trying to protect itself. And the reason it's trying to protect itself is because it, it knows it's not real. And if we relax a little bit and we try to try to, um, um, get in contact with that part of ourselves that is really aware, we will find that it's not the ego that's really aware of the situation at a certain moment. It's a larger part of us that's aware, but that we allow to function without knowing. It's sort of like, um, it's like the projection room in a movie theater. It's going on behind us when we sort of we're looking at the picture on the screen and we've forgotten about the projection room, but it's the projection room where the action is and that's the real us. And we're sort of stuck in the movie on the screen. This, this sort of, um, this sort of um, character we've created 
um, in the course of growing up and, and creating um, a person who can function in society, but that's not our real self. And, you know, that, that yeah. I don't know, um, that basic idea that, um, I, I see popping up all over the place, I guess probably because it's true, um, but it's, 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 you know, I, I see that coming from more and more sources, that, that basic idea, which I think is a really good thing. And I do. I think, I, I again, this is just my perspective. For me, when I think about do, taking action in some way, I, I truly do try to think of the greater good rather than what does T want, what's, what's for the greater good. And I look at that and I think everything that I do is going to affect everybody else on this planet. And people think that that's a crazy idea. And it's like, no, because every, everything is energy and thought is energy. And when you put feeling behind thought that's the fuel that powers the energy and sends it out there and it's going to affect people so if it's a good thought it's going to be positive if it's not a great thought it's going to be negative and i kind of look at that and think we're all connected for me through compassion more so than love you can't you can't love somebody on the other side of the world you don't know them it's too personal but you can feel compassion and that falls under love and and that to me is our connection and how our our emotional selves go out there a lot faster and further than anything else. I think emotions are, are fully charged because they are indeed emotions. What, what do you think? Well, I think that you know, the, 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 the universe that Bernie describes is a universe in which is a universe that allows that idea um, to be real and not just a pretty thought because mm-hmm. in um, – um, in Bernie's universe, and, and again, it's really it's not just sort of um, you know cocktail party talk. It's 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 for Bernie a fact. Um, the universe is um, he uses the analogy of a computer program, and, and he emphasizes that it's just a, an analogy. But uh, he says the universe um, is like a uh, a generated thought world, and everything around us, including ourselves, is really and truly made of, and it sounds silly, but it's science, according to Bernie, who again is no slouch, everything around us is um, generated by God using his thoughts. And we are conscious beings moving through this generated world, um, and we were created for a purpose. And the reason we know we were created for a purpose is because the, the universe itself has uh, God's fingerprints all over it. Um, the odds of human beings coming into existence is something along the lines of a trillion, 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 trillion to one. <laughs> Um, you know, my favorite analogy, I always use this, but it's my favorite analogy. There were, you know, when, in the Big Bang, um, when the universe came into existence uh, 14 billion years and change, uh, 14 billion and some years ago, I think 14.7 billion years ago, um, there were a bunch of laws that were already set into place um, when the universe came into being. And um, a great number of them, actually. And one of them was the gravitational constant. So um, we all know what gravity is. You and I know what gravity is. And if, um, mm-hmm. 
Um, gravity means that um, um, bodies, large bodies, um, have a, a, a pull to them. So if you've got a pencil on your desk and you drop it, you have a, you have a pretty good idea of how fast and how hard the pencil is going to hit. And gravity is not just gravity. Gravity could be a lot stronger or it could be a lot weaker. So if gravity were stronger, you, you, could, you would drop your pencil on, on your desk and your pencil would go right through the desk. If it were weaker, you might drop your pencil and it would take uh, five minutes to hit the desk. But gravity is set just the way it is, that when you drop your pencil, it hits the desk at just the moment that it does, right? Mm-hmm. So, gravity, so gravity has been set. Um, how precisely has gravity been set? Well, okay, first, before we get to that, if gravity were just a little bit weaker, what would happen? Well, what would happen would be um, when the Big Bang happened and everything blasted into existence, everything would have just continued blasting. Um, 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 Stars would have had no chance to form. Planets wouldn't have had a chance to form around them. Our Earth wouldn't have had a chance to come into being, and we wouldn't have had a chance to, um, you know, show up on the Earth. If gravity had been just a little bit stronger, the Big Bang would have been a big blip. Everything would have blasted out and gone right back into nothing, just like that, in, you know, a nanosecond. So how precisely, we now, this is the last part of this wonky bit, how precisely has gravity been set? Well, you're, you're a radio person. and You remember those old-fashioned radio dials where you sort of move the orange stick across the dial? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the, the radio dial is about six inches across, and you have to get that stick just right on your dial, right? A little to the left, a little to the right. You don't get the station, right? I still have that, by the way. <laughs> I've heard that before. I've, tr- I've tried this. You know, this is my favorite analogy. I've tried that before, and I have heard that before. I still have that. Good. Okay. All right. All right. So you're, you're, you're God, and you're setting gravity, all right? And, and it's, just like, it's like finding a radio station. So you've got to set that dial, okay? So you've got to set that dial just right, one millimeter to the left, one millimeter to the right, and gravity will be either too weak or too strong. But you are setting the radio dial on a radio dial that is as wide as the universe. That's mm. how many radio stations. It could be anywhere, anywhere on that whole dial. And you have to set it so exactly that you can't be one millimeter off. That's pretty precise. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> that's and that's that's like that's the easy one. That's the one I always use because it's like easy enough for me to remember. And there's like 16 others, and and it just goes on like that. And this and um, there are so many there are so many examples of of these these I, I call them sort of fingerprint facts um, about our universe, and it's. You know, if you look around on a bad day in rush hour, it's easy to imagine that this is really a very random place 
and it's a place where a lot of stuff goes wrong and it certainly is we live in a world where there is an awful lot of suffering and horror and and human pain and it certainly is pretty easy on any given day to wonder why god made this particular world the way um i'm not going to use he or she but whatever why the world is as it is and i'm not going to pretend i have an answer to that but as for the universe and as for our existence um, Bernie showed me over and over again in all these different ways everything points to our existing as a miracle beyond mathematical comprehension and that's something that more people should be aware of and more people should be reminded of because it means something and it's nourishing and it's 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 enlivening and it's something that it shouldn't just sort of be left sitting on the ground because it's something that can keep us more spiritually alive that can keep us can keep our minds alive it, it's something it, it's 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 important information and it's bernie finds it kind of outrageous that it's ignored so much that these kind these kinds of scientific facts are ignored so much and those are the kind of facts that I kind of tried to pack into the book because they're the kind of facts that Bernie feels not enough science books focus on and I think he's right yes and now, you know, and, and then, in... yeah Go ahead. sorry a couple of points, uh, a couple of things that you said. Okay, one thing prompted a, um, a question from me. Okay, so there's a very preciseness to the way that this galaxy has been formed. But that doesn't mean that to me. That doesn't mean that there aren't other stations on the dial and that there aren't other galaxies elsewhere that also have life. Probably not as we know no, it, that's but fine. some form of intelligence. No, no, yeah. as a matter okay. of fact, the, the universe... Um, Bernie told me about, um, and I regrettably can't give you the exact details, um, of a um, recent um, um, uh, I think they said they sent a telescope up to check out some to look around to see um, how many um, habitable how many how many stars with possibly habitable planets circling them um there were um in our you know in our immediate region and the results that came back were uh, astounding bernie said there are there were many many more than um the mathematics suggested there there should be um which bernie said suggests that um again against um what one would expect if one believes in a random universe, um, that the universe is set up in such a way to promote organic life. Um, the universe is set up in such a way that um, human beings or other carbon-based forms of life are supposed to show up on it. So there's nothing wrong with that. And, Certainly having other carbon-based forms of life, whatever they might look like um, on other planets, um, does nothing to God, um, you know. Right. 
Uh, he's certainly a creative fellow here on Earth. Um, there's, you know, <laughs> one would imagine that creativity might uh, extend beyond, uh, you know, extend beyond us. I I think so. I think this is like nursery school. I think people from other planets have come here just for a Saturday night live. Let's go for, you know, let's let's see if we can go and and laugh. Want to go to the drive-in? Let's go to Earth. Because people have said they've seen, you know, there is proof, and I shouldn't use that word, but they say that there is evidence that there have been other beings here. And I'm like, yeah, why would we think that we, we could be the only one and nobody can be smarter than us to come here and visit us from wherever? How do we know that well, there's that's something? Well, again, that's that, that tendency towards smallness that we always have. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think you have to be just, smart enough just, to know you don't know everything, you know? Yeah, and, and, and we yeah. just... Um, if, if you hang out in a, in a small room long enough, like I'm in a pretty small room with the door shut now, and um, um, the human tendency would be for me to sort of forget that there's anything other than this small room with the door shut. You know, that's the, just, mm. you know, that's what we sort of tend to do. And somebody might yeah. open the door and I'm like, oh, that's right. This room is in a house, and this house is, you mm-hmm. know, there's fields out beyond. And oh, what do you know? There's a road. You know, that's just, it's, it's this tendency we have. Um, we but limit not, not everybody. And, you know, right. some people some people have right. a tendency towards largeness. They're always and um, scientists are like that. I think um, they're 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 always they think in the opposite direction. They're always looking out, always looking for more stuff like that. Um, yeah, and, at least, and that's um, what we best, should do. You know, to learn and grow and, and, and not and, be and limited. And if we, and, and yeah and and and. Um, you know, at least um, from the adventure I had with Bernie, the, the, the message I got was the universe screams at us, stop being small. Stop being small yes. about yourself and stop being small about the world you live in. You don't know anything. And, and instead yeah. of like sitting down and, and expostulating and talking about the little tiny bit you think you know about yourself and about the world, just quiet down and, 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 and open up and realize how vast you yourself are and how vast the universe is. And, 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 and you'll be rewarded by, um, you know, unbelievable um, revelations. And, and when more I and more coming I... in every day. Yes, and sometimes I watch documentaries and they'll show, you know, a picture from a satellite that's gone to the end of the universe and then it will show a dot and it'll say, you are here, and I'll think, oh, my God, we are nothing. <laughs> we are absolutely nothing, <laughs> you know, and everything is just so – nothing matters. Well, nothing really is all that well, important, that, you know. Well, you know what comes – you know the white horse that comes to the rescue on, on that one is consciousness because – Oh, well, well, two things come to the rescue on that. First of all is uh, the fact that space is an illusion, which um, Bell's theorem proved, and um, it was cooked up in 1964 and I think proved in 1976 or something like that. Um, you know, in Bell's theorem, you take, um, <coughs> excuse me, you take two particles. You know, um, particles are, you know, um, um, the world is made of uh, atoms, and um, atoms are made of uh, particles. They're the, basically the smallest, um, um, you know, units of matter that we know. Photons are particles, electrons are particles. So you take two particles that are paired, 
Um, and paired particles means that one particle will do basically whatever the other particle does. If one particle mm -hmm. moves left, spins left, the other particle will immediately spin left, not a second later, but immediately. And usually these particles are close together. And um, what this fellow Bell hypothesized was that if you took these particles and you took one and you, and, and you put them at, ver at a very great distance from each other, and you spun one particle to the left, the other particle would instantly spin to the left at the same time, and there would be no time lag. In other words, there would be no way for the information to reach that other particle. Um, there would no, be no way for the information to travel through space to reach that particle. And if that were the case, it would prove that space is, in fact, not a fundamental reality but just something that we experience as a reality, but um, on a fundamental level, an illusion. And um, Einstein um, knew about this possibility, and he hoped that it wasn't true. But they finally had a chance, um, I think in the 70s sometime, to test this. And they had two particles. They had two paired particles, and they got them about seven miles apart, which isn't a very great distance, but it's a distance. And they um, spun one of the particles, and the other particle spun at exactly the same time. So the theory was proved. So um, that's step one of um, getting rid of the problem of, oh, we're lost in the vast darkness of space, and we don't, we don't mean anything. Space is – we shouldn't get too hung up on the vastness of space because basically it's an illusion that we – experience because we are bipedal hominids, um, you know, living on a planet and we experience space, but it doesn't, it isn't the thing we think it is. Um, that sounds crazy, but turns out to be that's the way it is. And the other thing that gets rid of the vast loneliness of space is the fact that consciousness trumps space. Space isn't real. Space is an illusion. Consciousness is not an illusion. So me talking to you on the telephone, my consciousness and your consciousness, that's real. The vastness of space, not real. This sounds totally idiotic, but the great thing is, even though I'm saying it in this goofy way, which you know I'm not saying it in a terribly scientific way, but it's true. You know, um, although I'm saying it in this like absolutely cockamamie way, basically what I'm telling you is true. Um, mm -hmm. the, the inner you, the conscious core of, the, the, that is you and the, and, and the conscious core that is me is real. The vastness of space is part of the simulation um, that the universe is. It was created by God, and it's not, that, it's not, it's not the big um, um, nihilistic, um, engulfing terror that, that um, we've been um, – trained you know trained to think it is you know well, well, what's that well, line from the poem the, the vast interstellar distances and all that kind of thing that turns out to be an illusion although i can't explain why because i'm not a scientist i'm just sort of a blabbermouth who writes about scientists <laughs> well as you said and we all know energy is consciousness and consciousness it can't be destroyed because energy can't be destroyed it can be transmuted and transformed but it can't be destroyed so here's a question for you. When we die, we transform into our energy transforms 
into something else, into consciousness. Do you believe in reincarnation? Yes. Okay. Um, As do I. I think that... I think the evidence for it is uh, pretty much incontrovertible. I think all the work that Ian Stevenson did at the University of Virginia is pretty hard to dispute. I will say that the um, descriptions of it that one tends to run into, oh, I was Mary, Queen of Scots, oh, really? I was King Henry VIII kind of stuff. Yeah. I think – I don't, I don't, you know, I think, I think exactly what reincarnation is and how it functions and exactly what the human personality is and what happens to the human personality after death and exactly how much of, of the personality inhabits the physical body. I think all of that is much more complex than, um, than, than the way most books talk about it. I think, um, once again, um, once again, it gets back to the business of most of us can't even figure ourselves out in terms of like why we do the things we do right here and now. And so we should be pretty cautious before we start theorizing about what happens when we die because it's probably a whole lot subtler, a whole lot vaster, a whole lot more marvelous, and a whole lot more awesome then we can get our heads around. But essentially the idea that um, – like my, base, my, favorite, my favorite quote is um, – it's three words. It's um, by um, the uh, uh, Russian, um, uh, Russian Christian philosopher Nicholas Berdyaev is uh, personality is indestructible. And um, I, very, I think there's something very important about the individual personality – I think that um, when we die, we don't just sort of disintegrate into a sort of milky mush of consciousness, but that the core personality um, continues. I wrote a book called Modern, The Modern Book of the Dead that sort of explored that. And, um, you know, there's um, the Eastern view is much more that the human the personality is kind of a knot that needs to be untied. And I'm kind of more in the school that the pers- of, of thought that the personality is, is, is more lasting than that and um, more large and, and more mysterious and, and continues. And that the you that is you right now and the me that is me right now um, does, in fact, continue and, and sort of becomes larger, kind of like in Proof of Heaven. Um, that was sort of the message with that, and that was one of the reasons I enjoyed working with Evan on it. Yeah, that is my belief as well, and probably because I've read Proof of Heaven. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know why. It just, I just believe that we do go on. I cannot believe we're almost out of time, Ptolemy. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they may purchase your book, Proof of God? Uh, well, I think it's sitting around on Amazon and, you know, the usual places. <laughs> and I have a very sloppy website called PolymyTompkins.com that um, I'm working hard to trying to, get, uh, try to get together. And I think Bernie's got a better website called, I think, TheGodTheory.com, um, which um, is probably checkoutable as well. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your being here this evening. Thank you so very much. It was a great discussion. Thank Thank you. you. It It was a lot of fun. Thanks. It was. Okay, listeners, 
We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world. That's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live, productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting, including my sound healing concerts and labyrinth walks. Please check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%. We are run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, stipends, or compensation of any kind to anyone. You'll learn about our fundraising campaigns, and you can see exactly where the money goes and how it helps the kids in need. So at Soji Huggles, we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website, SojiHuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on both Twitter, at NRG Aware Radio, and at Soji Huggles. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.